0: Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 120. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, first order of business, we are extending the submissions deadline for the Nigerian Scam Spam Story Competition going on. We've got a lot of good submissions, all of which are posted in our discussion forums under the second annual Nigerian Scam Spam Contest head. But we figured, what's the rush? The more creativity and competition, the better, right? We're going to take submissions up through July 8th and announce the winner of the $100 prize, posting his or her story in the forums for all to copy and paste, and email out to friends, family, and strangers that they sincerely want to entertain and confuse on July 15th. Also, another new addition to the submission guidelines, which you can, again, find in our forums, is that we're taking multiple submissions. That's right. 300 words or less, funny, disturbing, profound, or weird story in the style of a Nigerian scam spam email, multiple submissions, and send them into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. Get on it. So, Drabble time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called The First Swim, by Richard Asbury. Richard is a 26-year-old software developer working in the evil oil industry near Oxford, England, and he's never really done any other writing. Hope you enjoy. Ungub approached the rocky edge of the water with wary trepidation, and set his spear down carefully. You don't fall into water that deep. You fall through it. A thick, suffocating fall. By what magic the fish could fly through the seas was as much a mystery as the magic that propelled the birds through the skies. Ungub gazed into those blue depths with respectful awe. Suddenly, Ungab's young granddaughter, Shinshi, darted past, giggling and sprang off the rock, hitting the water with an explosive splash, quickly followed by her friend, Charlie. (laughs) Truly, Ungab thought, childish arrogance had its purpose. So, this week we bring you our third double-header special. Doubleheaders are two kick-ass flash pieces by one kick-ass writer. Our first double-header was back in episode 84 when we featured Michael Swanwick. Our second in episode 105 when we showcased Mer Lafferty. And this week we bring you two quick stories by writer, photographer, and web designer Jeremiah Tolbert. Jeremiah lives in northern Colorado, a place that seems perfect for his photography, much of which, from what I can tell, is of nature. Now, I don't claim to be the most acclaimed voice in the realm of photography analysis and criticism, but I do like me some pretty pictures. And I gotta say, JT's work is utterly gorgeous. Check it out at JeremiahTolbert.com if you don't believe me. Or if you do believe me. Also check out his freelance web design studio at clockpunkstudios.com, another example of excellent work. And if that wasn't too much freakin' talent for one individual already, we bring you some of his flash fiction. So, without further ado, Fisherman by Jeremiah Tolbert. My father wakes me before he has stoked the fire. I pull on my clothes as quickly as I can, then my boots and helmet. While my father checks the line and tackle, I put a log under the chimney and stir the coals. I have a minute or two to warm my hands before he coughs to me. I put on my gloves. Today, we go fishing. We walk the snaking path down the mountainside. The rising sun glints off the rapids below, dazzling me, and I nearly trip. My father steadies me with a bare paw of a hand. I feel embarrassed. We reach the rocky banks, out of breath. We do not speak. We can barely hear our voices over water raging against the rocks. Our breath makes white clouds. I buckle my helmet and cinch my gloves tighter. The sun rises another hand's width into the sky before we begin. My father weaves the line through my harness, knots it. I pull away as hard as I can. His knot holds. I look out at the fast-moving water as he feeds the rope through the pulleys that hang from the pines. I plan my steps. He gives me a nod, and I walk into the river. The cold shocks me. It numbs first my short legs, my scrotum, then my chest. My father feeds out more line. The current sweeps me from my feet, and I play out into the deep middle. I pray that we don't have to wait long for a bite. Minutes pass. I dimly feel hands grasp my leg, and then I feel as warm as if I'm sitting by the largest fire I can build. I shout wordlessly, and my father begins to haul on the rope. The hands walk up my leg. Thin arms wrap around my waist. We've hooked our catch deeply. She fights the line, but my father is stronger. I breach the water onto the bank. The mother clings to me still. I examine the catch. She is beautiful. Sleek black hair, long graceful limbs, and cherry red lips. Can we keep her? I ask, shouting. As I always ask, no, this one will fetch far too much at the market, my father says, as he always says. He begins to pry open her fingers and the warmth fades. I shiver as my father dresses the mother in a simple robe and binds her to the leading line. He shouts, ready? I am already walking back into the water. Maybe he will let us keep the next one. A Sandwich Shop in Chicago, 1AM by Jeremiah Tolbert The door of the sandwich shop blew open in the harsh Chicago wind. Something darted low to the floor, through the gap, and inside. James couldn't make out the blur of the shape, but it had four legs. A small cat or dog, perhaps. It happened sometimes. Strays took shelter wherever they could from the cold winter. His boss had once found a raccoon in the back room near the bread ovens. Shit, what was that? said Toby. James was supposed to be training Toby on the register, but it was too cold for customers. I don't know, James said. It ran behind the drinks into the corner, Toby said. You want me to go kill it? No way. I've got seniority. I'll get it. He stretched yellow rubber gloves that they used when cleaning the baking sheets over his hands and lower arms, armed himself with a broom, and opened the half-door out into the lobby. He approached the corner cautiously. Damn, man. I hope it don't have rabies or nothing, said Toby. Toby. A small, silver-and-brown dog was curled up between the wall and the drink fountain. It looked strange, stretched out and longer than any dog James had ever seen. There was blood from some unseen wound. "'Please don't kill me,' it said. "'I'll be dead soon enough without your help.' "'Why did you come in here?' James asked. It's just some dumbass dog, it can't answer you, Toby said from over James's shoulder. James didn't take his eyes off the coyote. I want what everyone wants, it said. What does everyone want? (laughs) To get high, man, Toby said, wandering back to the register, and for their shift to end. To not die alone, said the coyote. I could call a vet or something, James said. Just push it out into the sidewalk, it looks all screwed up anyway, Toby said. It's too late for that, it said. Please. James crouched down beside it. Its eyes were the color of his gloves, brilliant yellow, like sunflowers. He reached out to pet the coyote's fur. It whimpered softly. Hey, can I leave early? Toby asked. Yeah, James said, without moving. I'll stay here. The coyote closed its eyes. Toby clocked out. So much sadness in such a short space. I love it. Speaking of stories that people love, that's a great segue into listener feedback. A couple weeks ago, we ran a story called It's All in the Knowing by Michael Trim as episode 116. This is the story where the protagonist woke up omniscient. Are You Killing Time said, This story impressed me in a pretty deep and synchronistic fashion. In 1992, I underwent a very similar epiphany. Put another way, I was diagnosed with schizophrenic bipolar disorder. The descriptions and mental thought processes of the protagonist are so eerily similar to the experiences I underwent that I should probably talk it over with my doc and make sure my med levels are right. But I digress. Much like the protagonist, I've been fighting a long battle between living in the fantastic whirl of thought and universal totality and being able to engage in the real world of life, love, family, and friendship. It's hard to relate to those around you when you're in such a state of perceived omniscience. The character's decision to grab hold of his own little piece of eternity and live life nearly brought tears to my eyes. Praxis said, I like the feeling of muddling through that the character does. Knowing everything clearly means knowing about everything, but doesn't include what to do with that knowledge. One nitpick I'd have to pick is the time issue. At the start of the story, he knows what will happen with his car, the traffic jams, the boss's heart attack, but later on he has to choose between endless different timelines. Phenopath also picked this nit. He says it was somewhat inconsistent in so much as future events were initially predetermined. The car would die in 31.5 miles, but later stem from a probabilistic array of timelines. I guess that the first concept is easier for the reader to grasp, and so it's a better place to start. Vance M. enjoyed the story, saying, not too heavy and slightly less nauseating than some travelcast stories. Almost seems like it didn't fit here, but I still enjoyed it. Oh, they all fit down here, Georgie boy. They all fit down here. Yep. So our badass listener of the week is... Jake Frevald. Jake is the editor of my absolute favorite place to read Flash Fiction Online. Flash Fiction Online. Jake is a Drabblecast fan and is giving us some free ad space on their website, flashfictiononline.com, so that perhaps more readers with tragically low attention spans may bask in the short spurts of our spewing spigot of speculative fiction. You really owe it to yourself to go over to flashfictiononline.com and not only stare at our ad until its image burns into your retinas, but to also read all the great material they have there featured regularly. Expect more collaboration with this market and us in the future. Hey, if you haven't friended us yet in that weird internet thing called Twitter, go ahead and do that now so you can read the weekly winner of our ongoing 100-character TwitFic contest. This week's winner is Amory Lowe for his story, A Week in a Life. The Drabblecast family is everywhere, people. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter. You can join our discussion forums and comment on stories, weird news, or post your own Drabbles and short stories for review. You can subscribe to our other fiction podcast, Drabblecast B-Sides, off of our main page. It's got stuff that makes this show seem mainstream. You can buy Drabblecast archive CDs and t-shirts on the merchandise section of our site, and you can become our very bestest friends in the entire world by donating to us, so we can pay our authors week to week for the great work they create. Click the Donate Once button, or the 5 bucks a month subscription button, on our main page at Drabblecast.org to ensure that we keep this show coming at your face hardcore every week. Well hey, that's it for this week. The Travelcast uses a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but share it freely and amongst yourselves. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marshman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that I think it ran behind the drinks in the corner.